Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to T3M. If it's your first time here, hit that subscribe button. But if you're returning, hit that bell notification and consider becoming a patron. We are joined here with a special guest, Daniel Hakikachu, also known as the Muslim Skeptic. It goes without saying it's a special guest because you see Anhel without the tank top. But <laughs> shout out to you, bro, for even looking fresh in a tank top. I'm going to let Rami take over. MashaAllah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So this lovely brother here, MashaAllah, he runs a YouTube channel, The Muslim Skeptic. He's the founder and director of uh, Alasna Institute, a learning institution dedicated to answering the question, why is Islam the truth? So if you're looking forward to learning about that, then go check it out. InshaAllah, it's Alasna Institute again. His academic background is a double major of physics and philosophy from Harvard University. As Daniel studied under some of the top physicists and philosophers in the world, including Nobel Prize winners. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to our brother Daniel Hakikichu. Hi, Very happy to be here. Thank you. Habib, it's our pleasure having you on, mashallah. So we um we like we talked about, we planned to have you on about a week ago. And um there was actually an unfortunate delay. Do you want to talk about what that delay was? Yeah, basically, we went back to prehistoric times, <laughs> in a sense, because we lost electricity, the power grid of Texas failed, and millions of people were without power. And this was due to freezing temperatures uh, below zero temperatures that hadn't been seen in Texas for about 100 years. So we had no power and we had no, therefore we had no heat. But alhamdulillah, we were able to manage. It was diff more difficult because I have kids, so young kids, so they can't understand why is it so cold, dad, and <laughs> just turn yeah. up the heat. But uh, alhamdulillah, we had family uh, close by uh, who their power was um, fine. So we were able to camp out there for about four days, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, man. Alhamdulillah. It reminds like, me, oh my bad, go ahead, bro. Not, not, have you, I was just going to say, I feel like um, some good reflective points, you know, would come from that, like how much we take for granted on a day-to-day -day basis. SubhanAllah. Absolutely. Sure. Um, we just don't really have a sense of how delicate all these systems are that provide convenience in every aspect of our lives. So that's something that I definitely was feeling last week. True. Bro. My dad, when, when he was living in Puerto Rico, um, the latest hurricane that passed that hit Puerto Rico really hard left Puerto Rico without electricity for weeks. Bro, he told me that, like, he would go outside when it was, like, starting to, um, what, what do you call it? When, when the, the sun's about to go down, uh, sunset, but, like, after, like, right when it's getting, like, really, really dark. He said he would look out and it would remind him of those uh, zombie movies where it was like an apocalypse and there was just like nothing. Man, yeah, so... That's, that's the power of Allah, like something as, you know, just the temperature dropping and all of this advanced civilization uh, can just go dark. So supposedly advanced. Yeah, that's mm. a good reminder, mashallah. Yeah, but I mean, for I don't sure. wish that for, I don't wish that for anyone. Like a lot of people actually died because of the, the cold. So, um, you know, may Allah protect us from these kinds of natural disasters, but definitely something to remind us of death and the nature of this dunya. I mean, you're mm -hmm. 
I mean, alhamdulillah, that's such a good message because a lot of guys and girls that are in that predicament right now, when this is all over, life goes back to normalcy. But for a lot of people, this is normalcy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. It's, uh, it is I was a- joking, I was joking with, uh, or my uh, one of my teachers was joking with me. He's a teacher in Egypt. I have when he was saying that, you know, I heard what happened and I think I should start collecting aid, humanitarian aid <laughs> for, for you in the U.S. So like, oh, I'm going man. to start saving some money. <laughs> man, don't get me started. The amount of tweets I see about, um, you know, the U.S. just being an undercover third world country with makeup. <laughs> it's real, man. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah. I think I mentioned um, on, on one of the uh, the other videos that the U.S. has spent so long preparing for a war that they weren't prepared for anything else, <laughs> like uh, yeah. you know, pandemic, um, mental health issues, and all these other things. <laughs> Subhanallah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like an exaggeration to say that you know there could be huge third worldification <laughs> in our lifetimes of the U.S. Like, uh, and according to some analysis. A lot of the infrastructure is so old all across the U.S., not just in Texas. It's like only it was only meant to last like 40 years or 50 years, like electric grid, water system, sewer system. And so we're way past the life expectancy of these systems. And there's been no money put into actually overhauling them and bringing them up to standards. So it won't wouldn't take much at all to put the entire U.S. in the dark or worse. And it seems like no one's really paying attention to these kinds of things because of the amount of corruption in the U.S. Yeah. Jeez. When you add to that, the fact that the U.S. gives, what, millions of dollars a day to Israel? (laughs) Yeah, it's a big uh, joke. Yeah. All this money. But but you mentioned, like, wars and just, you know, trying to dominate the world. The thing about the U.S. is they have this kind of cultural agenda. They want to make everywhere westernized. So like when there's this uh, part of the spending bill, like the relief bill that Congress was trying to approve, and there's that $10 million for gender programs in Pakistan, right? So why do you want to mess with gender in Pakistan? You're spending $10 million of tax money instead of helping people, you know, helping people who like are living without clean water in the United States, places like Flint, Michigan, instead of working to fix that, you are trying to do a cultural engineering program across the world. It makes, it makes no sense, but this is the nature of US politics. I don't think other countries necessarily have this kind of cultural imperialism the way the US does. Yeah, yeah, subhanAllah. I'm, I'm getting the same vibes I was getting when I was, uh watching your your most viewed and most popular video on youtube mashallah what, what was it like five hours long five and a half yeah, yeah yeah the debate yeah yeah subhanallah um i think it's definitely a very interesting debate i think uh you know a lot of good reflective points came from it i think it was um highly educational for a lot of people and i think um it really spoke to you know <laughs> your opponent and his uh academic um uh, What's the word? Academic. Um, uh, we're talking about we're yeah. talking about the one with Apus. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> how how yeah. you know academically disingenuous he is. Um, <laughs> when he said, um, "What was that point he made?" Um, 
that uh, our wars are a lot more bloody because we have like uh, weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you said something like you said something it. like Islam didn't have weapons of mass destruction, so that's why they didn't use it. Like what? Yeah, very um. Yeah, yeah. That's this is the kind of it's like you can't even understand what he's trying to say for most of that debate. Like he was just all over the place, and it's because he didn't expect his views to be challenged. Like, and a lot of people with that mindset who are coming from this uh, kind of modernist, uh, you know, liberal secular perspective, they just think it's common sense, like their way of doing things, the way that the West is run. um, They think that's just the standard default that all human beings rationally believe. So then to start raising just obvious objections, critiquing it is a shock. Like they have never gotten that before. And that's why he had to, you know, sputter about and really made a fool of himself. So alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Uh, And 100%, um, a lot of atheists, uh, they don't know that um, even things, even the fact that they're atheists, right, is, is making certain claims, right? So holding an atheistic position is is conceding or not conceding but um i would say holding the belief that the universe can exist without a godlike being right and that within itself will catch a lot of people off guard so like you said a lot of people think it's common sense right because they are brought up in this way to them it's the only way um and it's it's almost like a, a superiority complex that they have that um if you don't and it's, it's basically like political correctness if you don't have this stance this view then you're wrong and it's i think it goes back to the white man's burden which is something that came up during the uh the discussion the debate um, but with these people a lot of the time i find that they just have one underlying motivation and they have this one drive which is i want to for this guy it just seems like he wants to prove islam wrong for some reason i think he even praised christianity um and I saw a tweet about it that he, he was praising Christianity um, when, you know, them themselves in their history have uh, very uh, questionable things. Um, and all he does is attack Islam. So with someone like that, it's like there isn't much for him to do except to, you know, slip and slide and, and stutter just trying to hit a very specific mark that he very clearly keep, keeps on missing. But um, looking back to that debate now, how do you look back on it? And how do you view it? Well, I think that it was a good debate. I did, um, like, he denies that it's a debate. It was a debate, but... Wait, what did he think it was in the beginning? I mean, he claims now after, you know, after the fact that it was just a conversation, right? It wasn't a conversation. We should have a real debate. So basically, he wants a rematch to save face. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "That that, that didn't count, you know? That didn't count. So uh, that's, that's what he says. It was just a conversation. But he was advertising it as a debate. Like he put the mm-hmm. thumbnail in the YouTube invitation or the, um, like, what's it called? When you schedule in advance the YouTube live, there's a thumbnail that comes up and it was Daniel versus apostate prophet. <laughs> he put it as like versus. So what does that mm-hmm. mean? This guy. And then, yeah, he was like, oh, I, I didn't, you know, think it was a debate. Otherwise, I would have prepared. He's like, he wants a do-over, basically. Oh. So I was like, nah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, five hours of talking to you. Like, if you had anything of substance to say, you could have said it within five hours. And it went so long because of him. Like, it wasn't supposed to be five hours or four and a half hours, whatever it was. 
it was supposed to be, you know, just like a typical length of a, of a podcast. Um, but he just kept extending it because he wanted to like come out on top, but he just couldn't do it. So he just kept mm. going on and on and on. But yeah, it was, it's, it was a complete embarrassment. He like uh, unlisted the video on his channel. So you can't really see no. he was, he was doing it live on his channel. I wanted to have my own version on my channel just in case he deletes it or tries to like edit the video. So I, I, uh, you know, streamed it live on my channel and uh, he just uh, unlisted his so that you can't search for it. Uh, you can only find the version that is on my channel. SubhanAllah. That's hilarious. Allah, that's hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. It shows how big his ego is though. Yeah, like, you know, like, like, it, he was considered the like the intellectuals of the uh, these ex-Muslims. Like he was like their main guy in terms of being so smart and having all these great reputations against Islam. Uh, so it was kind of a blow to their morale and their sense of being so smart and intelligent compared to Muslims. I'm not saying that I'm so smart, but anyone who can string together a coherent sentence would have been better than him. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, are you looking for the truth? Are you looking for answers? Or are you just trying to prove your point? And if you are just trying to prove your point, then that's like straight ego. Because at that point, like if you're proven wrong, then you can't step down. So you keep trying to bring something else to the table so you can come out on top like he was doing. Yeah, that's yeah, sad, man. Exactly. Yeah, it's sad. Like I've been in many situations, especially when I was younger, like uh, in college, and I thought I knew it all. And I would go into a conversation with someone more knowledgeable, and it would become very clear quickly that I just don't know enough. So I need to humble myself and recognize someone who is, is smarter than me, knows more than me, so I can benefit and learn and improve myself. Like I'm the one who loses if I say, oh, I know better. You don't know what you're talking about and just have this kind of ego uh, defense mechanism. That's like a very arrogant response. And you're the main loser of that. You have to, you know, and I experienced, have experienced that many times in my life uh, where, okay, clearly I am wrong about this or I didn't uh, figure out this issue. I need to go research and I need to listen to those who actually know more so that I can improve and I can get closer to the truth. Like, cause that's ultimately what matters. What is the hop? What is the truth? And if you don't have the hop, then you're going to be a loser. So I don't want that for mm. myself. Yeah. That's facts, man. hundred percent. And that brings me to a very uh, interesting point that see, we initially planned that we're going to you know, talk about liberalism versus Sharia law. We're hundred percent going to go into that, but I want to know more now because you told me that you had times in your life where you had to step down and kind of have that cognitive dissonance when you had that paradigm shift. So we want to know it all, man. Tell us about your upbringing. I know your parents are from uh, an Iranian descent and, you know, you are a revert yourself. Not really a revert, but you came to it on your own accord. And I want to know about that. Kind of what brought you to Islam, school, the whole system, and just your old belief systems versus now. Yeah, so I mean, one example is that I was raised as Shia. Like with a Shia background, I learned how to pray and practice Islam as a Shia. And I believe in like certain Shia um, points of belief, like in terms of the uh, successor of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
being Ali instead of Abu Bakr, like those beliefs I had. Um, and then I came across uh, Sunni Muslims and talking to them, I thought I was right. And turns out I didn't like understand a lot. I didn't know a lot. So I did a lot of research and, you know, long story short, figured out that, wow, you know, I can't continue to be Shia because there's this problem, there's this problem, there's this thing wrong. And when they were telling me, when others were telling me these problems, I said, okay, I need to go back and I need to make sure I have the facts. And that when I did that and read Shia books and did the research in that tradition, then I came to, a, to the conclusion that I did. Uh, so that's one example. A lot of uh, liberal ideas I have myself. Like uh, if you're a Muslim and you're growing up in the West and there hasn't been a real effort to block or shield these ideas, then you just absorb them like by osmosis, like these liberal ideas about like, you know, there's really no difference between men and women. Men and women are exactly the same. And, you know, the best type of marriage is like an equality marriage where it's a partnership between man and wife. Uh, things about like violence or war and all of these kinds of issues or like governance, like a secular government, a dem of course, like democracy where pe the masses just choose what they want. Of course, that's the best system or that's the most just system of, of government. So these, these kinds of ideas, uh, I just assumed, but you know, I was very quickly, thanks to good influence from uh, good brothers, good friends, good teachers, alhamdulillah, that Allah put me in a position to be influenced by uh, these people that I realized, okay, I'm, I'm way off on a lot of my assumptions and I'm just, my entire worldview is based on very little, like it's not very solid at all. And it can be easily tipped over uh, with a slight push or with a slight breeze. So I better, you know, get the facts, educate myself, talk to people, learn from them. So that was also a big paradigm shift for me in my life and this happened during college. So things like this also, you know, there's so many examples. Um, like uh, I'll give you one other example, sorry to make it too long, but the um, like intervention, what's called intervention in the Middle East. Like I was like, okay, yeah, maybe Saddam Hussein in Iraq, like maybe there's a point like if the US is trying to stop this bad guy right and you know going to war i'm not a supporter or a promoter of saddam hussein obviously he did a lot of terrible terrible things but i didn't have the same understanding at that time i was in high school uh, and early college when the invasion happened i didn't have the understanding that the u.s government can literally lie lie and create evidence false evidence to justify destroying a country and killing millions of people. I didn't have that understanding. And if someone told, would tell me that at that time, I, would, I might have a hard time believing it. It was only later, and this is when the internet kind of blew up in, in the early 2000s and people now have other sources of information. You don't have to rely on mainstream media news that's just feeding you whatever lies you know, at that time of the Bush administration, whatever lies that they 
are handing to these journalists and these journalists are just like dutifully recording it and passing it on without any criticism, without any skepticism. They just accept, oh yeah, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction. If we don't do something, he's going to nuke the entire world. He's the next Hitler, right? No one is questioning that. It's just like a question of, okay, should we invade now in the U.S.? Should we invade now or should we invade later? Or we should, should we just have sanctions and starve them to death and deprive them of Like, those were the two options. Like, should we just continue starving them to death or should we actually go and shock and awe and war? So, like, when I think about that mentality, and, you know, I, I was young, but still, that's no, no excuse. Like, you should have known better, should have had that kind of information. And with the internet, you can now go and search and you can go and be exposed to different ideas that will shed light on the falsehood and the fabrication And that came to light later on as well. But that's another example of just a paradigm shift. You think that you can trust whatever comes from the mainstream, the experts, the officials, the government officials, but they will straight up lie. They will straight up lie about so much. And uh, there was one person who was saying that he was talking to his Chinese friend and his Chinese friend was saying that, you know, I don't really follow Chinese news Like, I don't read the Chinese newspaper. I don't watch cha Chinese news channels because that's propaganda. And then that, the, the American guy was like, oh, well, I watch all kinds of news. And then the Chinese guy, oh, you don't realize it's propaganda? And the American guy is like, I never even thought of that. I like, didn't make the connection. that. So all these news in China and other countries, we recognize as Americans. Oh, that's just state propaganda state propaganda. But if it's American news, no, that's objective facts being reported. And whenever you see like uh, on Facebook and Twitter, like uh, from like Russia Today, like that particular magazine that has a Facebook uh, notification, oh, this is Russian state news. Or if it's Al Jazeera, this is Qatari state news. But if it's New York Times or Washington Post, there's no like disclaimer they're listed with the article. Oh, this is just objective reporting. It's not American. This is American state propaganda. They're not going to say that, right? So where's, that's all you need to know about the kind of bias mm. that is created. Yeah. Matter of fact, sometimes you even see breaking or world news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of luck. This, I think this is obviously something that people need to wake up to. So inshallah, this will be the podcast that allows for that, um, you know, that amongst other things. Um, actually, in, in the video that uh, the, the person you, you debated made about our brother Angel here, one of the first things he did was laugh about um, mass media manipulation and act like it's not a real thing. Because one of the points Angel made was that, you know, he thought Islam was this really you know, terroristic religion and all this weird stuff because that's what, you know, mass media was was pushing. And the first thing that guy did was laugh about it, which I think is, is one of the bigger blunders. But it's, you know, this is one, one of the uh, the biggest issues we, you know, we face as a society. Um, we always say the biggest problem you can have is not knowing you have a problem, right? So not only are they being manipulated, but they're they're so lost, they they can't realize that they're being manipulated, right? SubhanAllah. Um So yeah, I, I want to I wanna talk a bit about, you know, liberalism, the origin of it and, and why it, it's so destructive and comparing it, which was basically the crux of that debate, comparing it with Sharia and everything. 
why Islamic law would actually be a lot better, more beneficial for, for society as a whole, as opposed to something like liberalism or another secular mechanism. So yeah, where, where would you say, okay. like, as heavy, where would you say, you know, it, it originated and, and why did it originate? Liberalism? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, so liberalism came out of Europe, uh, France and Britain and Germany to a certain extent. It started, I'd say the origins are the 18th century. And it's a very basic idea that, look, we don't trust the Bible. We don't trust the church to tell us what's right and wrong and the nature of the universe because they're corrupt. And the Bible, actually, there are so many different interpretations. This was post-Reformation. So there was a conflict and a lot of wars between Catholics and Protestants. So that created a lot of doubt in the Bible. So we, in this, in 18th century Europe, we don't really trust the Bible. We don't trust the church. We think it's corrupt. We don't need them, actually. We can just use our minds and rationality to understand what's right and wrong and how to live our lives. And that's, that's what liberalism is. It's this idea that we uh, can use our minds to determine right and wrong. And the most important thing is maximizing a liberty, maximizing people's ability to choose whatever they want. And if people have the right to choose whatever they want, then they can make the best choices for themselves. And uh, we don't have the imposition, like the imposition of a church or the imposition of a religion or a king to control people and, and tell and make them do things that they don't necessarily want to do or things that are against their interests. So this is the basic like motivating idea of liberalism. And when you just put it like that, seems like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> that, maybe, I, maybe that's what I think is actually good. Maybe liberalism is on the money actually. Yeah. <laughs> it seems mm -hmm. it's, that's such like a superficial way of looking at it, right? Like that's something, because the, the first thing I thought of when, when you described that is that's so problematic, right? Maybe it's just the Muslim in me coming out, but it's so problematic because if everybody's doing what they think is best for them, how would they know that's best for society as a whole, right? And this is the issue because if everyone is doing like, let's look at something like pornography, right? A lot of people think this is something that's good for them because it makes them feel good. But how many, you know, people are suffering with mental health issues because of it? How many marriages are suffering? And, mm -hmm. and consequentially, how many uh, homes are being broken because of things like that? Um, but then again, it's something that people like to do. Therefore, why well, it's okay. So it just seems very problematic. And it's, it's, it's very superficial to people to think that, oh, you know, that sounds like a good mechanism to me. I could do what I want to do. <laughs> Um, but what if, you know, what if most people are idiotic nowadays and you're just going to break society? Um, but how much of that do you think influenced, you know, the Islamic way of thinking at that time? Because I was learning in my in my class recently that um, this westernized ideology and westernized philosophy that came about after, um, you know, like kind of the seculars, secularism and, and, and these Western ideologies, the Muslim nations, right, the, the Ummah at the time, they would look at the West and see all the technological advancements they had and, and the ways they were advancing. And they kind of tried to do this deductive reasoning that, oh, the only thing they left was their religion, right? Therefore, if we start leaving our, our Islamic ways of thinking, maybe we will advance in the way they have. So how impactful do you think that way of thinking was on the Islamic way of thinking? 
Well, that's, it wasn't really Muslims uh, spontaneously coming to that conclusion uh, because what happened was a colonial program and liberalism is really the religion, if you want to call it that, of the colonizer. And a lot of the finer points and philosophy of liberalism is a reaction to Islam. Like they were developing liberalism as an ideology often in response to Islam and wanting to colonize Muslims. So uh, that's actually important to recognize this kind of intertwined history of colonialism and liberalism. But one of the things that they wanted to get Muslims to do is to buy European products, uh, especially European technology, because if you can get a population Uh, addicted to or reliant on technology, then you can lock them in a position of subsistence, basically. Like they're going to be less than you because you're you're taking their raw uh, resources for like pennies and then you're selling them this technology at high prices and basically entrapping them and locking them into this like low tech economy, Right. So this is a this is an economic subjugation of you know the developing or the third world or the savage lands of the Muslims like that's a, that's a big part of European colonialism. But so they they are telling so the way that they sell the technology is to say exactly this like look all of the prosperity that we have because of technology and what we did was just change our. Uh, like we left our religion, we secularized. Fine, you don't want to, you Muslims, you don't want to become atheists, no problem. You can still be Muslim, but just, you know, drink some wine and, you know, take off the hijab and shave your beard and don't dress like that, dress like us. You can still be Muslim, identify as Muslim, but you don't need all that. But uh, there was a lot of resistance from Muslims uh, and even jihad to the, uh, against the colonizer to avoid the technology, technological aspect too. And uh, you know, the biggest opponents of some of these technologies were, were the ulama, like the scholars. And it's because the scholars recognize that these technologies actually are going to destroy Muslim society and Muslim culture and enslave the Muslim population. They recognize that But nowadays, unfortunately, people who are reading history and some of these confused Muslims who read history are like, oh, look, see how backwards these scholars were, how anti-technology they were. And they like try to belittle the ulama because, oh, Muslims should have adopted this and that technology. But they don't recognize the deeper insight and wisdom that these technologies Mm. will destroy a way of life. And we have to... You know, we have to recognize that about the nature of technology and our dependence on it is not ideal, right? And this is not an ideal like, world that we're living in where people are controlled by technology. I'll give you a very specific example, like the printing press. The printing press seems like a great technology because you can print all of these books and that's spreading knowledge, right? That's spreading all this information. Uh, but... What happens, like when you can print a book, the way that knowledge was transferred, like religious knowledge in the past amongst Muslims, is if you want to learn 
hadith, for example, or you wanted to learn Quran, uh, you had to go to the scholar and travel and sit with him and be with him for an extended period of time and actually hand write anything that you wanted to record. And that created a relationship between you and the scholar and the scholar can make sure that you understand and you kind of have to like lower yourself because you're traveling all the way there and you need something from him. And so that's a very good relationship because it, it is analogous and parallel to the relationship of the Sahaba to the Prophet The Sahaba were the students of the Prophet And that's a very important type of relationship for the transfer of knowledge because knowledge is not just facts on a page, right? Knowledge is behavior and akhlaq and adab and uh, it's more spiritual than that. So the um, printing press, if you can just print books, all of that goes away. All of that practice, all of that tradition is instantly uh, liquidated, right? Because you don't need, if you want to learn that hadith, just go and buy the book from the bookstore. And now with the internet, just do a Google search. So it's no surprise that even though more like the actual texts are more available than at any time in history, the amount of actual knowledge and insight and wisdom is at the lowest point of history. These things are related. It's not a coincidence. And it's the technology that has created this, this problem. So of course the ulama were very cautious and skeptical and opposed the, these technologies. And, and one last point, sorry, I'm, I'm going too long, but if leaving religion were really going to bring this kind of utopia and success, there are so many places around the world who they have become completely secular and they're still third world developing, mm. right? Uh, so like look at different parts of South America, Africa, the global South generally, Eastern Europe, Greece, like they've secularized completely much more than Muslims have, but where, what, what technology has that gone then? It's, they've been diluted into, you know, this kind of deal with the devil. And when you make a deal with the mm. devil, you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah, man, 100%. Uh, yo, before you go on, I, real quick, I wanted to say that this, when you were going on about technology, it reminded me that for the first time I've seen in my 23 years of life that the amount of censorship during the, the election. Now, I'm not pro or against Donald Trump. And when we talk about on this podcast, conservative versus liberal, we're not talking about it in the political sense. We, we don't, just because we don't agree with liberal ideology and po- politicism doesn't make us conservative on the political spectrum by default. But when you saw what happened to Donald Trump, like he got, I think, removed from Facebook, Twitter, and he just, it was crazy. The, the president of the nation. I've never seen something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was shocking. It was really shocking. And I can't believe that there are countries uh, around the world that w- are not regulating Facebook and YouTube and all of these social mm. media companies. I think Australia tried to do something <laughs> but they folded, right? Like they limited or they put some, some penalties on Facebook. So Facebook ended up shutting off all news in Australia through their platform. So that's, that's nuts. Like that's too much power that they are using for their own interests. So I don't know why any country in the world would tolerate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. SubhanAllah. I, uh, I wanted to comment on something you mentioned because uh, it sounds very similar to the hadith of the Prophet where he said that um, the ability to read and write will increase, right? But in, in, in certain things will increase, but knowledge will decrease. 
subhanallah and when i first when i heard you say that um that's the you know that's the first thing i thought of subhanallah and it's 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 i feel like a lot of people have a very shallow way of thinking even myself back in the day i heard a certain scholar talk about how you know the the scholars disagreed with the printing press and me young me hearing that I was like what the heck how backwards were these people that a printing press you have a problem with that is this how strict they are in their religion right is this how strict they are in their views um and then hearing quotes like um i believe it was imam malik rahimullah saying something like if you're if you study fiqh and you're rigid in your views then you don't know fiqh right if you're studying the the you know these rulings and you're really rigid in these views of these rulings and you don't even know them to begin with and it's like subhanallah the amount of of superficial thinking that not only people indulge in but people teach and preach is is really insane i think this is the main problem with you know people having sahih bukhari sahih muslim all these hadith and in and in everything uh they'll read one random passage that'll strike the you know a liberal side of them and they'd be like wait what is this mm-hmm. but they don't have the you know contextual analysis to it they don't understand in you know the context in which it was said what it means the scholars what they what they say about it um and it's that superficial thinking that i think is really breaking us as a whole so um let's let's if we take liberalism right what are some of the destructive qualities of liberalism because you said there you know there are secularist countries that have not gained anything from being, you know, secularist countries or nations. So if you were to take secularism, secularism and liberalism um, deeply, what would you say some of the destructive traits of them are? Well, I mean, uh, for Muslims, so you can be a Muslim and be like liberal in this idea of freedom, maximizing liberty, um, maximizing democracy like democracy is the best system and separation of church and state is the best system and still call yourself a muslim but it creates a cognitive dissonance for you because if you think about the uh, idea of secularism and separation of church and state and you feel like it's the best system it's the most just system then as a Muslim, you have to ask yourself, why didn't the Prophet have a secular state? And why isn't this idea presented in the Quran? The Quran is coming from the creator of the universe who has created humanity and is sending guidance uh, to all of humanity. So why wouldn't the most just and the best system of life and of governance be included in that revelation. So this will create a theological doubt. This will cause like a cognitive dissonance. And that is one of the biggest negative impacts uh, for Muslims and all other kinds of issues. Like when it comes to equality in marriage, like, okay, the best way to have a marriage is an equal marriage where husband and wife are at the same level. And I know you guys have had many guests who will talk about this concept of how those kinds of marriages don't work. Like they just don't work. And um, if you are going to abide by these liberal equality standards, then your marriage is going to suffer and you might find yourself divorced. Like I was reading, uh, I mean, there's so many examples and usually like Reddit will have a lot of these people posting 
like she's a woman married for 18 years to her husband. They have these kids, like three kids. And she just doesn't respect her husband anymore because he like got all these promotions and he's like in the same job he was five years ago. And he like stays at home and does chores and she's just bored with him and doesn't respect him. And so she wants to leave him after 18 years, leave the kids and go like find an exciting guy. And she doesn't know why she has these feelings, right? She doesn't understand why these things are happening, but it's because of liberalism. It's because of this idea that you've been fed that the best kind of marriage to have is one where man and woman are at the same level. So I don't know if you mm. want to elaborate. I don't know how familiar your guests or your audience is with. Daniel, man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta send that husband you're talking about the rational male, man, so he can learn about hypergamy. Yeah, yeah sure. but we'll we'll leave most of that out for our next recording because we we want to go really deep into feminism, hypergamy, and all that. But uh, yeah, man, there there are some very good points you brought up there. I, I hear that so much about women just nagging and talking about, you know, and frustrated about their, their marital life. I hear even more about women complaining about their husband to other men. And those men then being like, oh, really? He's like that? Don't worry, I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the um, comments that you see on YouTube where if it's like some feminist like video or like remember the Gillette ads? like Gillette, <laughs> toxic masculinity. And then the co- like the top comments were, oh, my wife's boyfriend really loves this video. <laughs> my wife's boyfriend really <laughs> thinks this is the best kind of shaving cream or whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> it took me a minute, but that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are people who... Someone else, a friend was telling me, I mean, again, maybe we should save it for the next recording, but it was insane. Like someone else posting online about how he was fine with his wife having a boyfriend. You know, he didn't want to be a toxic male and try to control his wife and prevent her from experiencing her sexuality to its fullest fullest extent. So he was okay, like with being uh, cuckolded, right? That's like a fetish or a hot wifing or whatever they call it. And, um, but then, you know, what happened to his dismay is that that boyfriend raped him. The boyfriend raped Wait, him. him. So, Say that one more time. Yeah, him. The boyfriend, his wife's boyfriend ended up raping him. And so he's like trying to find some online support. Like, how should I feel about this? Like, how does that happen? Homophobic by not liking being raped. <laughs> Oh, well, oh my god nah he didn't yeah, get I, I don't know if that's real or not but oh who knows like with this kind of world that we live in things like this might be happening yeah oh i get it man yeah. no man go on i was just gonna say like my initial thought was a story like that has to be fake but thinking about it it's like it, it could definitely happen in, in you know today's oh, age thousand percent bro i always joke with my wife here and there like there's going to be a day where we're walking in public and it's going to be a crime to be heterosexual. Like, it sounds too, like I'm capping, or it sounds way too out there. But the way society is propagating today, or should I say regressing, it's not too unfathomable. Especially, you know, somewhere like the West where you think, oh, it's progressive and, you know, it's for the people. Come on now. Yeah, subhanAllah. Yeah. <laughs> they might this man got raped they- by a guy. Nah. 
<laughs> bro, nah. you still on that? I'm still on that. I can't listen, believe listen, that. Listen, listen, listen. For us, I get it, bro. It's it's kind of hard to comprehend how a man can have you in that position. But just think about it, bro. Like, if it is true, I right, let's 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 put the skeptic skepticism aside. We we got the Muslim skeptic out here putting his skepticism aside for a bit. So just think about it. If it is true, just think about the state of that guy, his mental health. There's so many guys that I see articles about, I'm a modern man and I'm with a modern woman. So I allow her to go do her thing, become a woman, you know, spread her wings and fly during the day. As long as she comes home to me at the end of the day. So she's mine. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't, man. <laughs> Let's uh let's save the rest of this discussion for yeah for sure bro. Love diverging too uh, too much um <laughs> stuff handle plot. But this yeah, is all this back. is all part of liberalism though. This is all part of liberalism. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We can, Femini- we can go back. Feminism includes it. Yeah. Liberalism includes feminism too. Yeah. We're, we're gonna go on that. Inshallah. I'm I'm actually very excited for the for that recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, inshallah. So let's go back. There there are some things we were talking about that other things that are damaging about yeah. liberalism. Yeah. So, unless unless you have more points you want to make on liberalism and how it how it could be damaging to society as a whole, um, if you want to talk about the concept of of an of the individual during liberalism, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, because it, liberalism is t- is constantly telling you that the bottom line is how you feel as an individual, like what makes you happy. You're number one, right? At the end of the day, how you know your happiness your ambitions, your goals, that's, that's all you need to care about. And you'll have like some of these people like um, life coaches or therapists or psychologists who will say that, look, if anyone is getting in your way in, in the way of your personal ambitions, just cut them out, cut them out of your life. And Islamically, like you can't do that. Uh, I mean, there are cases where you want to avoid being hurt but you can't just cut your parents out of your life just completely, right? Where you're not even communicating with them. Uh, and I'm not trying to deny that some parents can be abusive, but there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. And this individual mindset will lead you to a lot of unhappiness because when you put personal ambition, you're missing a whole dimension of human existence where you want to care for people and you want to sacrifice for people, your family, especially. Right. So when you become a father and when you become a mother, you have to sacrifice a lot for your kids and you, you can't necessarily have all the fun that you want. You can't really get to all those ambitions that you had for yourself, those dreams that you had when you were younger. So that's sacrifice. And sometimes you have to toil and work really hard for your kids, right? But that is, will bring you another kind of joy. That will bring you another kind of fulfillment and happiness that is not like a physical pleasure, right? So liberalism says, no, like don't sacrifice for your kids. And this is why we see marriage, like the average age for marriage is going up, up, up. And people just don't want to have kids. Like, why is that? Why do people not want to have children? Maybe it's because they're constantly being told that kids are a burden and you, you shouldn't. And, and it's true. They are a burden, but it's worth it. It's something where you put others above yourself as an individual. You are going to 
be more fulfilled in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're Muslim or non-Muslim. This is a universal human experience that comes from human nature. But liberalism is denying human nature. It's denying all of these different aspects of human nature, like sacrificing for your spouse or sacrificing for your larger group, right? As an ummah, we're Muslims, we're part of the ummah, right? Sometimes you got to put your life down on the line for your brother, right? In battle, for example, that's a sacrifice. That's not putting your personal interests above others, but, you know, jihad fi sabilillah. That's one of the highest forms of good deeds mm -hmm. and acts. You're sacrificing for the sake of Allah. You're sacrificing for the interests of the ummah, for the, for the larger Muslim body. This is the most virtuous, among the most virtuous acts. But liberalism cuts that out and say, no, you're going to you know, die or you're going to get hurt. Like, you shouldn't do that. Like, that's contrary to your liberty and your freedom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think about number one. Always think about number one. Yeah. Uh, You're right. It's, the, yeah, it's almost like it's like put your best interest first. You know, don't don't worry about kids right now. And they normalized it in today's culture too that. And, you know, in 18 years old, you should be out of the house, man. You should put off your parents. It's normal that you see in TV shows with, with this American, you know, you got this son who's like, oh, did you, are you in touch with your dad? No, it's, it's been, you know, nine, eight, ten years since I, since I spoke to him. I get it. I was gonna ask you a question, Daniel. Have you have you read The Way of Men? The Way of Men, no. Okay, so it basically talks about how back then, you know, our role as men in societies and systems where we were in tribes. And I know you know you know what I'm talking about. Like you had to put the good of the group first, oftentimes above your own personal interests and things that you want out to be. Right. And you look at the the Sahaba and you look at you know the companions of the Rasulullah. And that was the generation of men. Now imagine these men were kind of emotional and they were like, oh, you know, well, I don't want to have kids because it seems like a burden. And I don't, I don't like, we wouldn't have Islam as we have it today. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> there's, there's one point I wanted to, uh, to mention back to the individual being one, right? The number one. Um, to a certain extent, everyone has to watch their own back, right? Um, but you can only have one number one, right? Or like collectively society as a whole can only have one number one. So there can't be a bunch of individual number ones uh, in all society because um, inevitably like, it's going to crumble if everybody only cares about themselves, right? Uh, when there should be a greater goal, a greater purpose. And um, it's amazing that, you know, Islam, because without Islam, we wouldn't really have this, this proper, you know, understanding of it, of, of you know, sacrifice and everything. Uh, especially like the sacrifice, you know, of a, of a mother and, and how she has three times over the father and and all this stuff and all the, the marital communion and, and family matters and all that, subhanAllah. And it, it's, it's funny because if everybody, you know, has their own best interest, what if they don't really know what their best interest is? Because a lot of the people think this short-term gratification is their best interest, all right? And what that does is feed long-term depression, which I feel is the reason why so many people suffer from it today because they've essentially neglected themselves inevitably being told that these are your desires. And since you're free, you should go after your desires, not knowing that they've now become a slave to the, their desires, that this mechanism of liberalism is actually making them a slave to something that's going to ruin them. Whereas in Islam, you know, if you're a slave to Allah, that's the only way to truly be free as an individual and maximize on, you know, your fitra yourself as a human 
and not experience this insane cognitive dissonance, depression, anxiety, and, and all the stuff that we're experiencing nowadays as an ummah. Um, so with that being said, for us nowadays, you know, we're struggling. May Allah make it easy for us. What would you say the, the solution is for us? So there's not going to be an easy solution because this is like a global system and it's being uh, implemented by force. So it's going to be very hard to resist it. There are certain measures that you can take to reduce the influence of this global system. Uh, I think one of the most effective ways is to disconnect yourself from mainstream media disconnect yourself, like stop allowing that poison to affect the way that you view the world. And that will have a big positive effect. Instead, plug yourself into good sources of information about the world. Uh, it doesn't have to be like a religion or, or religious sources. Uh, it's obviously good if you learn your deen and study Islam. But just in general, in terms of being informed about what's happening, find alternatives like alt kind of media alt alternative and as of now it's available online like they haven't shut everything down yet that might change uh god knows allah knows but for now uh you have the option to unplug from mainstream that's number one number two uh really try to learn more about liberalism and the way that it operates I offer courses uh, through my institute, Alasna Institute, and they go into depth. Also, uh, my YouTube channel uh, and website go into depth on liberalism, so you can always use those resources. And then third, I would say, try to focus on family and try to focus on uh, getting married to someone who's good, who is on the same page as you and you know gets it. Uh, try to get married try to have a strong family and raise your kids well and raise your kids uh, so that they're not liberals and they don't have these liberal biases that we grew up with, or at least I grew up with. Um, and, and it's important. Why is family important? Because people around you and, and the way that you live life has a psychological effect, right? Um, just, Reading something in a book or on a website is not necessarily going to change your way of thinking, but being around different people and living in a different way of life will or has a much more, much more impactful way of thinking in your psychology. So alter your psychology by building a family, like a strong family and connect with other families or your own extended family. Try to move closer to them. These are all practical things that you can do that are very important. If we live individualistic lives, then we're going to think in individualistic ways. Our psychologies are going to be primed in a way that uh, makes liberalism more appealing. And you can't necessarily consciously know about that impact on your mind, but it's there. It happens. Mm, facts. Before we take forward, I just wanted to ask Anhel, do you have any like, thought or two that you want to get out there? Because you've been quiet, unless you just, you know, taking in. I'm, I'm just, I'm taking it in, but I'm, I'm real tired. So forgive me if I'm, I'm no like extra not. quiet. But I, um, I will say like what you're saying right now. Uh, what, did you say something before I said it? Oh, I was wondering why you're tired. Oh, man, I just, I'm shifting my sleep schedule. I'm waking up at like anywhere from like 4 to 5 a.m. Getting in all the prayers. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. 
but on top of that, man, I did a workout and like my neck, I, I trained my neck. So my neck's like giving out right now. Uh, but what you were saying about this whole liberalism, liberalism thing, um, I, I think that I experienced this firsthand because um, I, I, I had family, but like since my mom and my dad got divorced when I was young, and uh, my mom and me and my sister moved over here when I was like four years old. Uh, we, you know, we kind of spent some time with family, but like it wasn't really like that big of a, a deal. They're like big family get togethers, like it was very rare. And I remember when I was with my ex, uh, her family was like really tight. So, like, for me to see the difference of like having a family who's like really tight, where it's like, they have like eight, 10, 15 people staying in like one house, all like they have holidays or they treat almost every weekend as a holiday mm-hmm. where they're all getting together and they have like 50, 80, 100 people and like a get together. I'm like, geez, like, so this is it. Like, this is what it means to like actually have a family. And I mean, it's just, it, it links together. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what liberalism does. It like <laughs> separates you. Yeah. Bro, I just wanted to kind of polish your point right there with some points that you are 100% right. And there's ways it's manifesting in society. For one, you're saying that you need a strong family, right? To like proliferate the ummah, keep everyone in their role, keep everyone in their frame. But how are you going to do that when people are confused about their gender identity and all that? Because that directly prevents you from, you know, re- reproducing. Because today you have you have people that you got two women they're like oh i could be happy with you know each other and we can adopt uh you know a kid or we can get a dog and you know, that's khalas, like that's our life like i don't i don't get it man it's it's so normalized today that people are not even put off by the thought of living life and not having kids yeah not having i mean kids, not having family go ahead yeah my bad um i was there bro like i i used to think to myself like i don't want kids I don't care about having a family. Like, I'm fine if I, if I'm like 40, 50 years old, I'm not married, and I don't have kids. But then, like now that I think about it, I'm like, e, like that would be pretty lonely. Do any of you guys have man? kids? No, Rami has kids. Oh, okay, Rami, you can say, it, man, you can say, it, bro. It's, it's okay. Yeah, I have four quadruplets. Mashallah. You have four quadruplets, so you have 16 kids. 16. <laughs> Mashallah. Allah. With Allah. one Wait, woman. Are you serious? You have, you have quadruplets? No, 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 no. no. I, I don't have no, kids. Bro. I'm 20. Rami's, Rami's the youngest of all of us. Uh, okay, okay. Don't, bro, don't say you're 20 like it means. That's such a liberal statement, bro. Back in the times of the Sahaba, bro. <laughs> you could be 20 with 20 kids. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah you could if you had like four wives. And... Exactly, man. You don't want to put all that burden on one woman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, the thing that uh, you don't really realize until you have kids, like, there are certain emotions that you have yet to experience as a man. And you are not going to experience them until you have kids. So, like, <laughs> people are interested in experiences, right? That's, like, the kind of youth culture or western culture like oh i want to have more experiences like go to cancun or go travel the world to have these experiences right but there is no experience that you can have that's 
like having a child and feeling certain emotions. And that's a dimension of human existence that you can't really enjoy uh, until you have, uh, until you have children. So I definitely recommend, you know, brother and, and for guys, it's easier <laughs> for guys. It's easier. Cause you guys don't have a, we don't have a fertility window, right? You could be 80 mm. and still have kids. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, highly recommended, but unfortunately a lot of like, how do you get the mindset how are people being brainwashed into thinking that, yeah, kids aren't something that I really need or want, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's my, not... my grandfather had 20 kids. 20 kids? <laughs> yeah. Subhanallah. Three, from three different wives, but it was 20 kids, yeah. Subhanallah, bro. He got it in. Subhanallah. Where did he live? It was in Iran. Mashallah. Mashallah. He, he did not waste time. Yeah, he was efficient. He, was efficient. Uh, he got the three wives and listen, this is what we're going to do. We got eight months here, eight months over there, eight months over here. All right, we're cycling through it, ladies. <laughs> cycling through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because uh, he, w- he would travel for work and like between two cities. And the cities weren't like that far apart, like maybe like a 45-minute drive or less. But... He, he had like one wife in each city in those two cities. His first wife uh, passed away. Uh, he only had like uh, two wives at the same time. But uh, mm. they were just in two different cities. And so he would be like a few days in one city. He'd have a wife there. A few days in another city, if wife there. So that's, that's how he set it up. Actually, his, uh, one of his wives, his second wife was like, look, you're spending all this time in this other city and I'm not there to take care of you. So you need to get a second wife or, you know, other than me, it would be his third wife, but just have another one Mashallah. in that city. And so she can take Mashallah. care of you. That's real. I really, listen, um, what we talked about so far is good. And, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about polygyny as well in our next episode, but to continue this, this point that we were on the momentum about uh, liberalism Today, we, we live in an unprecedented level of seclusion, right, and division. So Muslims now that are watching this, they're like, okay, liberalism is cancer. <laughs> like, we can't, we can't be, you know, when it's time to vote, who do we vote then? Do we vote conservative or do we, do we vote liberal? Like, I hear the joke all the time. It's like, like liberal governments, they're okay with the mosques. But it's like, you need to put this LGBTQ propaganda in the mosque. And then with conservatives, it's like, okay, no, no mosque, you know? So they don't, they don't know what to do. And even in the ummah, right? It might not be too relevant, but we can even get into that. Because um, I feel this calling that even in the ummah, there's so much division, right? Yes, there's, you know, we have different sects within Islam. We can talk about, you know, Sunni, Shia and all that. But this, this whole division is, is a way to just destroy people. And it starts at the individual level with dividing the family. But why don't you give us a little bit about what Muslims can do today when they're pulled apart by, you know, society trying to pull them towards the left or the right. And even within the Ummah, because we have people commenting that, hey, I'm Shia and I feel like I want to, you know, leave Shia and come into Sunni Islam. Or people saying, oh, why is Sunni Islam the one, right? So your question is like how to be unified? Unified within one society politically. 
and two within the ummah. Within society, you mean Muslim and non-Muslim, like in Western society? Yes. Or? Yes, that, when you got to vote, things like that. Well, you know, I've been living in the West my whole life. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be living in the West um, for the rest of my life, Allahu Anam. But, you know, I've had no trouble as a Muslim um, in the sense of, like, feeling like I'm separate from others. Like, I don't feel isolated. Um, you do have to isolate yourself in some circumstances, right? And by isolate, I mean just being around Muslims as, as a social alternative. So when I'm in college and there are these different activities, you have all kinds of choices. Uh, you can go to hang out with this group or that group. I'm just going to be more comfortable around Muslims. Uh, I have to pray, for example, going to pray with them in the masjid in the, or the masala. I'm going, I want to go eat, so I'm going to go eat halal, go hang out after exams or whatever. It's going to be with Muslims because they're the ones who care about halal. So you're just going to be gravitating towards Muslims and there's room for that. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, you want to be around people who are in the same uh, mindset as you. Mm -hmm. And everyone accepts that. So I don't know if that answers your question about society. No, mm -hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that some Muslims do feel isolated if they don't have family, number one, around them. And then number two, if they don't have Muslims around them or Muslims that they're on the same wavelength with, you know, because I've also lived in places where there was the masjid and but it was like, Mostly people were much older than me and didn't speak English for the most part. So I was isolated at that time of my life because there wasn't like people my age or my, with my interests, Muslims in that masjid. So I felt isolated, but you know, you get through it. There are different stages in life and you work to find good people. You surround yourself with good believers so that they have a positive impact on you. And when you, don't do that and you resort to people who have a completely different understanding of the way to live life that can be dangerous for you. And I've seen many examples of Muslims who felt isolated and for whatever reason, sometimes it was not their fault. Like they were just in a bad circumstance and they went and hung out with a lot of non-Muslim friends. And then when you, and this is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that a person is on the religion of his friends, his close friends. So if you bring those kinds of people into your life who will drink, they will, you know, commit zina. They don't care about Allah. They like, they can go for days without God coming onto their tongues. Uh, then, I mean, I have, I have many neighbors in the, in the past when I was in the corporate world, uh, co-workers, employers who are non-Muslim and no problem getting along with them. But would I consider them to be like a khalil, which is the word in the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ uses, which means close friend? No, they weren't khalil. They weren't like my best friends. I wasn't spending so much time with them because that can threaten and endanger like your heart. Your heart is affected by your environment. So yes. 
never sacrifice your heart and the state of your iman uh, just for socializing. Uh, it might be hard if you're in a certain part of your life, but then try to, like, if you know that what well, that's what you need, don't compromise on your iman and endanger your iman. Instead, try to go to somewhere else where, where you'll be influenced positively. And there are many examples from Hadith about this. And then the other thing that you said about the Ummah as a whole, uh, this is the ayah in the Quran where Allah says to uh, stick together by the rope of Allah, come together and unite and do not differ. And what's important about this verse of the Quran is the rope of Allah, Habl, is sent by Allah. It's something that is coming down to us. It's revelation. So we as an ummah have to always be united on the truth. And it's very clear those who are concerned about the truth and want to stick to the truth and those who just want to be in, in their different firaq, in their different uh, uh, sects. And they want to just differentiate, you know, us versus them. And that's what they're constantly concerned with, as opposed to the truth, the haqq, and sticking to the Quran and Sunnah. Because everyone agrees there's the Quran and the Sunnah, right? And if you are sincere in wanting to follow that, then it's very clear who is sincere in that and who is just wanting to divide off and be like, no, this is us and that's you. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I became Sunni. Like I'm concerned. I am concerned about Quran and Sunnah, and Shia are supposed to be concerned also about Quran and Sunnah. Well, if you're concerned about the Quran and Sunnah, then read it, and it's saying X Y Z, right? So then, are mm-hmm. you going to accept that, or are you going to just stay according to what you your group is and what your family is? I didn't want to do that. Exactly. Uh- we're going to come back to this after the quick point that I had on your previous, um, you know, the, the line you were dropping about, uh, you know, you become the people you surround yourself with, right? If you hang out with people that are drinking, you're going to do that eventually. Now, Dr. Zaki and I made a video I was watching one day where he, he made a point about, um, you know, a woman asked him, is it okay to have non-Muslim friends? And he said, yeah, you know, at least his opinion on it was, yeah, it's okay to have non-Muslim friends. We live in a society, but provided that you are influencing them or you're a role model for them more than they are for you. Because if they are influencing you more than you're influencing them, it's it only leads one way. And, you know, we don't need to say it, but it only leads that way. It, it might not be there tomorrow. It might not be there by the end of the day, but it only leads there in totality. So that was his point. And I agree, but we get a lot of people that are in our requests in our, in our inbox that are saying stuff like I'm not a Muslim, but when, in my Jahiliya days, I was, you know, hanging out with people that were drinking or I myself, I used to smoke. And, you know, these are the only people I have now. They're not bad people per se, but they partake in a, in a life in activities, in a, in just a lifestyle that is not aligned and congruent with my, you know, belief system. Now with Islam, what do I do? Do I cut these people off? Do I limit my association with them? Do I associate with them, but not partake in the activities they're doing while they are partaking in those activities and still put myself in that situation? Or do I just, you know, just play by ear? So what do you say to people like that? 
it's hard to give a general rule. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, it, it really depends on the, your definition of friend. Who, what does it mean to be a friend? Um, and like I said, like I have to this day, like people who maybe they would consider in their definition that I'm their friend, like non-Muslims. Um, because I'm just friendly. I, I, you know, will talk to them, ask them how they're doing. I'll be concerned like, oh, you're sick. Can I do anything to help you? Uh, I'll be their friend like that. But do, am I spending like quality time with them? Am I like really, am I like going to tell them my most vulnerable things like I would with a close friend, like my BFF? Uh, no, like the thing is that you like, the people who are really influencing you are your best friends, your closest inner circle. And you want to make sure that that close inner circle is good people, because those are the people that you could end up being resurrected with. Like in Yom Al-Qiyamah, when Allah is going to raise you, it's going to raise you with the people that you love, right? The people that you are so close to that you love them. And you don't want to be raised if someone is bad, right? And you know that they're doing the wrong thing. They believe the wrong thing. Like they are worshiping, you know, a man or they're worshiping other gods. Like you don't want your afterlife to be tied to that. So you have to be very practical. This is not a joke. Like we only get one chance at life and you don't know if you, how long you're going to live to you know, I might be gone in the next 10 minutes. You know, I might end this call with this uh, with you guys and that's it. So I want to make sure that I'm not taking any chances with my akhirah and your close friends and the people that you love in that way. That is a big factor. That is a huge, huge factor. So don't gamble with that. And that, again, I have plenty of good relations with people, non-Muslims and not so pious Muslims. Like my, in my own family, my extended family, not everyone is a Muslim in my extended family and not everyone is a good Muslim in my extended family, obviously, but I still have a connection with them and I'm still nice and friendly. I help them and it's my duty to do that. Um, so don't get me wrong here, but you just have to be cautious. It's not like, don't think about it in terms of what do I stand to gain? Think about what do I stand to lose? by uh, my associations is um, it, it's very critical. Yeah, subhanAllah. Well, uh, bro, we got, man, that's gonna stay with me for, for a couple hours after this call. It's not about what you can gain from them, but it's potentially what you can lose. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Um, when, I, when I first, you know, really came to Islam, when I first really came back to Islam, uh, when I was like 16, 17, uh, majority of my close friends people who I, who I'd hang out with and, and talk to um were non-muslim i went to a catholic school by the way right so um, there's catholicism like all around me um and most of my friends were either non-muslim or muslim by name like i was uh and indulged in some very you know um haram things and what i did when i first came to islam is naturally I kind of internalized the hadith of the Prophet where he said that um, loneliness is better than bad company, but good company is better than loneliness. And naturally, I just kind of ended up isolating myself from them. And I didn't, for a while, I didn't really have anyone. I didn't have a problem with that, but for a while, I didn't really have anybody. And I kind of made, you know, YouTube lectures and, and, and Islamic videos like my, my companion, my friend, 
and uh, I would I would literally listen to them constantly. I would watch debates. I was I would listen to like uh, uh, speaker corner videos and even some of your videos actually, mashallah, back in the day. Uh, may Allah bless you and reward you. So that's something that I found myself doing naturally when I didn't really have anyone. And I think it's it's really crucial because I feel like if I had stayed close with them. Um, I may have even lost my Islam. So Alhamdulillah, I'm glad that, you know, I was alone for all those years. And I don't think being alone is necessarily a bad thing. I think not being able to be alone is a lot worse. You know, a lot of people feel like they're, they're not able to, to, to be by themselves nowadays, subhanAllah. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people also are losing the ability to find friends. Um, I know I have a big issue with finding friends. I don't know, like, I'm considered to like my personality type is more introverted anyway, but like I have a hard time after college, especially in college, it seems to be very natural. Like you just go and it's easy to find Muslims, uh, especially because I was living in Boston. So there are a lot of colleges, like it's like a college town. So there's a lot of people that you can go hang out with and same age, same kind of interests. But uh, then after college, it was more difficult for me to like find people I got married pretty early. So that kind of, you know, my, my friend is just going to be my wife. <laughs> we'll just hang out and socialize. But if you don't have that, then it can be very isolating and, and lonely. But that's a very good point. Like sometimes you just have to, it's like a test. This is, this is a kind of test. Are you going to bear the discomfort of being lonely? Uh, or are you going and like preserve yourself? Or are you going to sacrifice Dean and, kind of put yourself in a precarious situation with people who uh, might lead you down the wrong path. And then if you make that sacrifice, then Allah will give you the best friends that you never knew that you could have <laughs> and the people who will really inspire you and uh, inshallah lead you to Jannah. But I mean, I'll give you a personal example um, story from my family and my life. So, you know, Alhamdulillah, I was very blessed by Allah uh, to be able to find good Muslim brothers uh, in high school. And that's pretty much how I came to practice Islam in high school. And eventually I became Sunni from Shia. It was because of coming across the MSA, Muslim Student Association, in my high school. And um, it was just by, you know, by chance, quote unquote, like from my perspective, I overheard some Muslims just talking about this MSA that they wanted to form. And I thought, MSA, what, what, what's that? Like, I was just overhearing their conversation and it blew my mind. Wow, Muslims actually do stuff? Like they get together <laughs> and pray. This, these were foreign concepts to me. Like I knew how to pray uh, and I knew basics about Islam, but I hadn't maybe gone to a masjid. My parents hadn't taken me to a masjid or introduced me to that. Um, growing up, maybe I had only been once or twice. So then because of that, overhearing that, I was interested. So I ended up going to their first meeting, like the MSA meeting that they just formed. And that was the beginning of like my friendships with these good Muslims. Uh, so alhamdulillah, that influenced me in a very good way in my life. But uh, I had another family member. Uh, actually, it's my sister. And my younger sister, she's two years younger, she unfortunately fell into a, a very bad crowd and she had the same exact background as me. Uh, she is smarter than me. She had like a higher SAT score and mashallah. 
but she just fell into a wrong crowd. And these were kids that were smoking a lot and they were, uh, you know, doing all kinds of wrong things uh, in high school. And some of them, I think, were even in trouble with the law. Like they might have been in juvie, juvie like juvenile hall. But that, those became her friends and she felt comfortable around them. She became acclimated to them. And so she started changing. And uh, unfortunately, this led her to starting to, to do um, to drink, for example, and smoke and those kinds of things. So, you know, and that sent her to a, in a completely different path. And I'm sharing this because I think it's very important to get across the danger of having the right friends. I mean, she went missing basically, because she went to a party and this was in 2007. So she actually, she was um, uh, 20 years old, I believe. And at that time, and she went missing and has been missing. Like no one knows where she is. And uh, police like did searches, like people, suspects were identified and questioned. One guy went to jail uh, being involved with her going missing. So that's, you know, something that's affected my life, but it always makes me remember like the, the importance of having the right people around you. Like, you, like your akhira is definitely on the line. Your dunya is also on the line. Like the rest of your life is on the line, depending on who you uh, spend your time with. SubhanAllah. Yeah, SubhanAllah. I think that's one that's one thing a lot of people end up missing out on. Um, they think Islam is all about, you know, the afterlife, but they 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 neglect the fact that living a life of, of Islam, right? Living on the deen of Islam is the best way to live this life. And it's gonna bring about the most benefit in this life and the next. So it's either you win win or the other end, if you neglect Islam, you're lose it's lose lose for you. Um and uh, I actually I wrote a poem on on this concept that, you know. Uh, if you know a lot of the time people think like I, I wish I just knew what was going to happen right I wish I just knew you know when I'm going to find love when I'm going to find these friends when I'm going to get this job so on and so forth and it's like if I knew these things and I'd feel a lot more comfortable so I basically wrote about you know if, if you knew your you know the, like the love of your life because this is back before you know we had these discussions uh, the love of your life if you knew they were coming you know um, you would have this like mysterious devotion to them before even knowing them. You wouldn't have stress, fear, anxiety. And then I end off by saying, but imagine how, how strong we would be if we believed in these things, even when we didn't know for a fact. Right. And that's essentially, you know, having trust in Allah and, and, and God consciousness, knowing that um, if you give something up for the sake of Allah, he will replace it with something better. You know, I uh, very naturally, when I said, you know, I left my friends, little did I know I was going to run into Fayad at the gym, asking him how to do tricep extensions, you know, to fix my form. And, you know, subhanAllah, all this time later, now we have a podcast, subhanAllah. So uh, it's it's really complex how how life works. And, you know, but one of the names of Allah is, is the subtle, right? And, and he, he really, he works in very beautiful and subtle ways sometimes. And I feel like if people can internalize that and know that it's the small changes in life uh, that have bigger, greater outcomes, kind of like the butterfly effect, then um, they would be a lot more content with even their, their low lows in life. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Subhanallah, mm. That's, that's profound. Man, all this time that uh, brother Daniel was talking about, you know, the role of the family, it just got me thinking, man, how, how many times we're just ungrateful for our parents. 
Now, it might be, you know, going off on a slight tangent, but I, I, I watched a video about Daniel talking about how, you know, when anything happens, you know, the way society conditions us today is to just abort our parents and to just leave. Be like, okay, you guys did this? Cool. Khalas, peace. You know, because that's, that's essentially what we see on the media. But it's like putting together the pieces now, everything's connected. Growing up, like, for example, my parents, they were working, right? They obviously, like, the way society structured, you know, it's unless you have, you know, super high earning, you know, passive income from home, parents got to be out there in the workforce, right? But my parents, whenever there were things like work parties or like events or like conferences or something like that, that's not mandatory, I can't think of one time where they went. They would always stay, you know, with me, making sure we're straight, making sure, you know, we have family time, even if it's once a week, even if it's twice a week, that we have that consistent schedule routine time where we do things or we go on trips, we go on vacations. So I just want to give a quick shout out to my parents and any other Muslim parent right now that always put the family first, because when the family crumbles, we got nothing. May Allah have mercy on our parents and bless them immensely. And allow us to the highest levels of Jannah. I mean, Ya Rab, may Allah, you know, allow us to be good children because um, the Prophet said that there will come a time when, you know, a, a slave gives birth to a slave owner, right? Imagine living in that state, you know, treating your mother like a slave when Jannah is under her feet and you should, you know, not that children should be slaves to their parents, but if there's going to be a slave to someone, you're definitely going to have to be a slave to your mother and not the other way around, subhanAllah, if you want to achieve Jannah. Um, imagine the state of ingratitude you would have to to be in, you know, for your for Allah, for your parents, for your life. Uh, that's something we fall into. SubhanAllah. Yeah. Allah protect us from that, man. I think we're we're thirty minutes um, ahead of schedule. I think we're we're good to wrap it up. SubhanAllah. Anhal, you got anything else to say? <laughs> or you you he's gonna so have far. a lot to say on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm interested in that, but I was interested in this too. I'm just really tired, y'all. Oh, it was good man. though. Subhanallah, it was good. Your presence right. is all that matters. So you guys you. do a lot. Uh, you lift a lot of weights. Uh, Faya does. Rami's starting to. I just I do it for like strength and conditioning for martial arts. Oh, nice. nice yeah, space. that's. Yeah, I used to, before I got busy with family, I used to hit the gym too. And I played, yeah. I used to play a lot of basketball, but I. Oh, would, we got another Uber. Yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would do uh, weightlifting just to get my vertical up. So I like to. <laughs> what was your vertical at? Uh, I didn't measure it at the peak, but I could dunk in high school. So. Hey. Uh, one handed. Hey. Like and I need a running start. <laughs> How tall are you? Uh, six two almost with shoes. Okay, so you about about the same size as uh, Sarami over here. Yeah, about about an inch taller with shoes. Yeah, mashallah, mashallah. We should all get together inshallah one day and then have a game. Um, we can get uh, Ibn Murrah and and all the other hoopers on here. Mm. So, yo, the day we the day we chop it up with Muhammad Hijab, we'll we'll ask him to come too. How tall is he? <laughs> What <laughs> this dude is like seven feet tall, bro. Yeah, he's, yeah bro, he's, he's giant. Mashallah. You take on yeah, the whole team. I play the post. <laughs> yeah, but very quick before I forget it, top of my mind, um, Daniel, if people want to find you, if they like what you're talking about, if they they want to support the movement, they like your ideology. Where can they find you? Uh, they can just go to MuslimSkeptic.com. Uh, that's where I have 
a lot of material. It's not just me. It's a lot of other Muslims who are writing. Um, that's my website. And then there's also um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Telegram now. Telegram is pretty cool. Uh, I have my own channel there. And YouTube, it's Muslim Skeptic. If you just search it, search my name, you'll get the channel. And the institute is alasna.org. Um, and I have classes on their courses pre-recorded that, that people can sign up if they want to get through like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like college courses because it's more convenient. It's like pre-recorded so you can follow on your own schedule, but it's like academic material and people who want like a more in-depth understanding of modernism, feminism, um, liberalism. We actually have a marriage course too. It's more practical, like how to practically get married as a Muslim. That's um, it's like a 20 hour course that people are taking. And I co-teach it with my wife, Um Khadid. So Alhamdulillah, yeah, you can follow me on those, on those sources, inshallah. Inshallah, though. I'm going to link everything in the description. But real quick, you said Telegram is, you could have channels and like post up there? Yeah. No way. I thought it was just a messaging app. No, no, it's much better than other apps, messaging apps. It has that function, but you can create what they call a channel and people can just join it. Um, and yeah, you just post whatever you want. And it's good if you don't want anyone to comment, like you just want to post material. So I use it to share memes. I use it to share articles, uh, random thoughts. And alhamdulillah, it's good. I like it a lot. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Allah. May Allah make um, you know all, all these mean sources of good uh, for the people and reward you as the Habibi. I mean, Jazakallah khaira. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, do you guys have anything to say? I don't. I was going to ask one question. What do you say you, uh, like there's any specific field um, that you're studying in Islam, like fiqh or like usul al-fiqh or usul al-hadith or anything? What I'm studying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so right now I'm going through a curriculum and I'm studying usul al-fiqh, I'm studying fiqh, I'm studying um, uh, like the fiqh of ibadat and also mu'amalat. So right now I'm on kitab and nikah and I just had my exam <laughs> on uh, uh, one of these texts, actually four different exams on four different texts. One was in usul hadith and I think I did okay. Alhamdulillah, I don't think I failed out, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of that stuff right now alhamdulillah alhamdulillah may Allah grant you success habibi alright guys if you made it this far we're about an hour and a half just over that in comment down hashtag Muslim skeptic and stay tuned for our next episode where we will talk about feminism and the effect it has not only on women but on men looking forward to it jazakallah khair we, uh, we appreciate you having you on. MashaAllah, it's a pleasure for us, definitely. May Allah reward you immensely and then make this a source of good for the people. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Thank you all for watching. May Allah bless you all. We'll see you on the next one, inshaAllah. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adha bin nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.